And if you have your Bibles and you want to open up to Luke chapter 2, we'll talk for a little bit. Uh, Luke chapter 2, we're going to talk about um, one of the best stories all around the world in this season. Um, pretty much every tribe, tongue, and nation, there are people celebrating the birth of Jesus at this time. Um, he probably wasn't born on the 25th of September. In fact, I'm pretty sure he wasn't. But we do know that uh, it's good to remember things. And so this is a time that kind of our, our, our church, our group of people, um, when I say our church, I mean the worldwide church, we've all decided that, that we're going to take a time out every year and remember the birth of Christ. And this is the time that we do it, knowing full well his birthday is not December 25th. And that's okay, though because it's still a good thing to remember. So we're going to open up and we're just going to pray real quick. God, I thank you for the privilege, God, of sharing your word. It's an honor and it's a privilege. And I'm just excited about what you're doing here in this church and in my life and in the people who I see here today's lives, God. And we just ask that we would make much of Jesus and that we would hear your story of your birth in a brand new way that we might be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you're in Luke chapter 2, that's where we're going to start reading. Um, it's some of the most uh, popular scriptures around. I mean, most people, since we live in a nation that was founded on Christian principles, where the majority of people that came here were Christians and were believers, it's um, very popular. We know kind of the story. We know the situation. And um, it's really Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It's kind of God's answer to a really messed up problem, a really messed up world. Um, I used this this morning and I'm going to use it again. Uh, I'm gonna, I chose this color because it's black and it's kind of dirty and it, and it looks like something I might have used to, after I changed the oil on my car. Um, but our world is messed up. It was in darkness and it is in darkness. And um, saw on Facebook Peggy, uh, her, one of her daughter's boyfriends passed away. Um, I've known a few people this year. I mean, there seems like there's been more funerals the past week and a half than at any point during the year. It's just a lot of sadness. It's supposed to be a time of family, and it's been a time of sadness. And, I, and I've just seen it, and we live in a world that's like that, that's messed up, that has things wrong. And when God decided to, to bring an answer to the blackness and the darkness and the pain and the sorrow, the answer he brought was a baby in a manger. Um, we read right here in Luke chapter 2, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for him in the inn. Jesus was born into a dark world. Right there, you see, even his parents... They were under the bondage of Rome. I mean, his parents, they were there and they were told, go back home because you need to register. Registration, like we talked about this morning, just basically meant more taxes were going to be taken. Caesar needed some more. He wanted to count the people. He wanted to make sure his pockets were getting fat. So everybody, go back to your hometown. 
we're taking a roll because we want to make sure we're getting enough. That would not fly today if people told us to go check in somewhere. I doubt the people in our country would do something like that because we're the land of the free and the home of the brave. But back then it was, that's what happened. One man ruled the world and he made decisions that affected everybody. And although there was some local power, he was Caesar, he was in charge, and you better listen to him. And when he said go, you went. So Jesus was born, and even as a baby, even in the womb, you already see him being a servant. You already see him being subjected. Um, you already see him having to do things he didn't want. He was born in, in, at a time when his family had to travel, and it wasn't a choice because she was pregnant. And they're lugging across the country, they're lugging the pregnant woman, and if you've ever driven anywhere with a pregnant woman in a car, it's not fun. So imagine if you're traveling back then when it, it just wasn't as comfortable, it wasn't as easy. Um, think about how important it was. Think about the choice that they had. They knew they didn't have a choice. Jesus was born into a time when people didn't have choices. The, uh, the world was dark, and he was born right there. Um, he was born in a plain open space. Uh, it says there was no room at the inn. He was probably born on the second or the first floor of, of somebody's house, of, of the inn, where they would keep animals in at night, kind of bring them in. That warmth would go up and heat the upstairs. I mean, they were smart. They knew that was a good thing. It got cold, and then in the day they let them go, and then they kind of do business and things down there. Kind of might be their shop, or it might be the area where they worked on stuff or whatever. It was inside part of the area. But he was born there and then laid in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. The interesting thing about Bethlehem, Bethlehem translates simply the house of bread. Um, and we know that Jesus said that my flesh is, is, is the bread of life. Come and eat of me. He gave us communion. And even, even, even at the end of his life when he gave us communion said, here is my body, it's broken, this bread. Where was he born? He was born in the house of bread. And he would be the bread of life for us all to, uh, to, 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 to live off of, to sustain ourselves off of. He was born in Bethlehem where there were shepherds. Now the people in Bethlehem, they were uh, David's lineage. It was a royal town, but it wasn't a very, very large city. It wasn't, wasn't, wasn't the best city. And Jesus makes his way there under bondage, even under Rome's bondage. And um, what would happen in Bethlehem is David's family, and you know, they were sheep herders, and they would, a lot of the sheep that were used in the temple worship, like they, they, worship, they sacrificed sheep like two a day in the morning and the evening at least, um, they came from that area. So Jesus was born in the same area where the sacrificial lambs were born. And he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. And because it was very important that a lamb was without defect, um, from what I've read and what I've studied, the, the shepherds, when a lamb was born, because they knew it may make its way very quickly to be sacrificed, and it had to be perfect without blemish, no broken bones, they would take the lamb and they would wrap him in strips of cloth for that swaddling clothes. And there you see Jesus, the bread of life, born in the house of bread. You see Jesus, the Lamb of God, born in the area where the lambs for the temple would be born. And you see him wrapped the same way that they may wrap a baby lamb. Um, and the priests, they would come and they'd get the lambs from that area. And Jesus one day would be our, our lamb. One other interesting about lambs is, uh, and I thought this was kind of fits in here since he was the Lamb of God. Um, if a lamb is an orphan, meaning he doesn't have parents, and he would die because there's not a, a mama lamb there to, or a mama sheep there, I guess, not a mama lamb, but a mama sheep there to take care of, her, of him, 
Um, what they would do to get the baby sheep to stop being an orphan is they could rub him or cover him in the blood of a newborn. And that would give the smell to that lamb that didn't have a home. The lamb that was orphan could get rubbed in, in the blood of a newborn lamb and then the mom would smell that and receive it in. And, and that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Is we were orphans, we were lost, and we get covered in His blood and somehow we have a way, we have a home now because of what He did. But I want you to think about this because it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We've always wanted to have God with us. God was with us in the garden before Adam sinned. God was with Abraham when he walked as his friend. He, he walked as a, and talked with, with Abraham. Um, when God called the children of Israel out of bondage, it says that he walked like right in their midst, right among them as a, as a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during the day. And God's presence was very real. They had the tabernacle there in the wilderness where this cloud would come down and the people would just see the glory of God come down. And that's what made them different than everybody else is, is that they were following this fire more than just a king. Moses was a prophet. He wasn't really a king. He just did what the king told him to do. And then as they transferred into their land, they, the, the tabernacle turned into a temple, a more permanent house, but it was God's presence among the people that, that made the difference. In fact, God intended always to be their king. It was always God's plan to be the people's king. He wanted to walk in them and talk to them and, and live among them. And here's how God answered His promise, is He came as a baby. He came um, not in the way that we would think that He would come. He came in a way that just that doesn't make sense to a lot of us. And um, I just want you to think about the trust that God placed in Mary at that moment. We talked about this this morning, but the trust that God placed in Mary because he be, I think he was a real baby. That, that one verse we said where it said, uh, the baby didn't cry. I, I honestly said, you know, probably not true. As we were singing that song and I was thinking, I was like, probably the baby did cry. Because I know that when the babies are first born, they probably need to cry a lot to get all that junk out of there. And I think Jesus was just as real of a baby as any one of us. I'm sure he cried. If not, he wasn't a real baby. He didn't walk, you know, this. if you get this idea of this perfect, wonderful baby that was somehow superhuman, it's not true. He was just as real and just as human as we are. And I believe he cried. I believe that, that God trusted his plan of salvation to a young girl. Think about that. Is Mary had to do her part. She had to nurse him. If she got lazy or she got selfish or she just, I can't handle this, too much stress. Um, everybody thinks I cheated on Joseph anyway. I'm just out of here. I'm gone. No, God placed the promise of the world in her hands. And she had to change his diaper. She had to, to feed him. She had to clothe him. And, and, and God put trust in her. And even though she wasn't perfect, God put trust in her. He trusted her. He said, here, this is my plan of salvation. This is, this is what I want to do to save the world. And he puts it right in her hands. And she gets to make the choices. She got to decide when Jesus ate and when he didn't. And, and when he got his diaper changed. And we know Mary was good lady. We know she was a lady and she made mistakes. We have records. She at least lost him once. We know that. At least one time she left the city and was like, has anybody seen him? Does anybody know where he's at? Is he Uncle, Uncle Joe? Is he with you? Uncle Jacob? Was he over there? No, he wasn't. Go back to the city and start searching. I mean, that'd be going back into Jerusalem would be like going into New York. 
or St. Louis, I mean a huge place that was pretty busy and hectic and it was completely different. Let's go back over there. We've got to find him somewhere and he was there. We know she made mistakes. She probably didn't change the diaper as fast as she meant to one day. You know, oh, and oh, I'm going to change his diaper and she fell asleep and he woke up. He could have had a rash one day. He could have, he could have fallen down one day. She, she could have disciplined him for something, you know, obviously he didn't sin, but she could have got on to him. Hey, I know you did it, Jesus. Stop lying. I'm saying, I mean, she she made mistakes. She she made him do things he didn't want to do. Turn that water to wine. It's not really my time yet. Do it, please. Let's go. Okay. I mean, now she didn't twist his arm, but she put this pressure on him. She called him crazy once. We read in Luke. I mean, in Mark, as we're studying Mark, she called him. He's going. He's going crazy. Boys, brothers, sisters, go down there and get him out of there. He's kind of. We need to get him. She, she, she was trusted with God's plan and she made mistakes. Um, but the world was dark and she was stuck in the darkness just as much as anybody else. And although she had a ray of light that she held in her hands, she was stuck in that darkness. And when you think about how Jesus came, and when you think about how he came as a baby, I want you to think about this right here. And this, this just stuck in my mind. Um, that's a needle, obviously, and it's the biggest one that I could find that wasn't like a crocheting needle. And um, one of the things that makes that effective is that tip right there on the end. That sharp tip is that tiny spot, which makes it pretty easy to go. And I just went through like two parts of that, of, of the fabric, because the tiny tip, when it comes down to a point, and as you push it through with really no effort at all, it can just pierce right through. And I want you to think about the tiny tip, the tiniest spot would be like Jesus being born in that manger. When God wanted to pierce into our darkness, He got as tiny and He got as small, and He really got helpless for a moment. I want you to think about that. Like He submitted Himself. Now I don't know um, how that all plays out, but I believe He was fully God and fully man, and I believe He needed His mom just as much as any of us need our moms at that moment. Uh, I know God's plan of salvation is unstoppable. I'm not saying Mary could have stopped it, but Mary had to change a diaper. Mary had to nurse him. Mary had to had to do her part, and he got small. He got he got tiny. A big God got small, and I, and and he trusted. I think you know we need to uh, realize that God trusts us. That God has a plan for Puxico. God has a plan for Southeast Missouri, and He's trusted you. He's got small, and He's kind of backed out of the way a little bit, and He wants to pierce into your life and say, Hey, you you've got a role to play in this. Um, does what God want to do here depend on us? Yes and no. Same way that, you know, Jesus is the salvation, Mary wasn't, but she had a role to play. God wants to do things in this town, but we have roles to play. We have we are parts of that puzzle where God has trusted us, knowing that we're not going to be perfect, that we're going to make mistakes, that we're going to lose Him once in a while. Man, I was walking with God, but I just lost Him. Where'd He go? Just like Mary did, you know, God, God trusts us, and He wants us to trust other people the same way, and to, to, to open ourselves up and become humble. Another thing is, is uh, tenderness. I mean, babies are gentle. Jesus didn't ride in the town like Zeus or something like that, with lightning bolts and thunder, and show up right in the heart of Rome and just kick Caesar out. And here I am, going to be the king of kings, and now I'm in charge. And you know, now I'm going to go back to Jerusalem and set up his kingdom there. He came as a humble, gentle, tender baby. And that tenderness, I mean, you, you better be gentle. I mean, even though this thing right here is piercing and going through that fabric, it, you know, the holes that it leaves are really, really small. 
In fact, you probably wouldn't see him again after it goes through. I mean, it just, it's tender. And that's how Jesus is with us. And that's how Jesus spoke about sin. And we said it this morning. And as I was, as I was reading through the Gospels with my kids, I, I read the story of the Good Shepherd and the story of the, the prodigal son. And I want you to think about the story of the Good Shepherd because it just blew my mind. I read it and I thought, you know, this doesn't make sense to me because the Good Shepherd, the story is, is that he's with the 99 and the one sheep gets lost and disappears. And the Good Shepherd says, oh, my sheep is lost. Where's my lost sheep? Um, and I was put myself in the position of a shepherd and that's not what I would have said. I'd been like, where's that dumb sheep at? Where'd that dumb sheep go? Where'd he go? That dumb sheep is gone again. Not my lost sheep. There'd be no compassion in my heart. And the good shepherd goes out there and he finds, he searches all day and he finds his lost sheep. And he goes, oh yay, my lost sheep. And me, if I was out there, here's that stupid sheep. There you are, you dummy, walking out here all alone. And then the part that really got me, because this is about, this is where it really hit me, is that he puts the sheep on his shoulders and the good shepherd carries the sheep all the way back into the, to the rest of the sheep. And he talks about rejoicing and how happy he is and he's found his lost sheep. And I thought, if that was really me, I'd be like, barbecue tonight. I know who's going to get it. We're, I know who we're cooking. All right, let's start up that fire because this dumb sheep right here, he's not running away again. Because we're going to clean him and we're going to cook him and we're going we're gonna to roast him, that dumb sheep. All right, that's what I would have been saying on the way home, that dumb sheep. But when you think about God, is God doesn't want to roast you. When you're walking in sin, he, he considers you as lost. Not as, look, at, look at that dummy. God doesn't have that thought. He's not, there that dummy is again. I told him not to do it. I told her not to say that. I told him not to go there. Get my lost. And when he goes there, he doesn't come there to roast you, just to tear you up and to put you down and to, to destroy you. But he wants to bring you back in because I can't imagine not barbecuing that sheep. But in God's world, in God, the way God looks at it, he's just happy you're home. And the same thing with the... Uh, the prodigal son, it was my son who was lost is now home. The son goes out. And the father um, watches the son waste half of his money uh, on prostitutes and on gluttony and eating out and party life of the town, partying it up. And he loses everything and gets the worst job possible, feeding pigs, which, I mean, as bad as it sounds, to a Jew that would be the most disgusting horrible job. It would be like you're the guy that cleans the bathroom in the strip club. I'm saying like that's your job and you're sitting there and you're scraping stuff off and you're like oh my gosh what am I doing here? This is not where I need to be and so you go home and then the dad there he is. The dad doesn't see him and say oh there he is coming home. He knows where to find me and just kind of sit there and wait for him to approach because that's how we would be sometimes is we'd be like he knows where to find me he knows where I, you know, let him come, let him come in. I'll forgive him, but let him come to me. But the dad gets up and runs out there and embraces the son and hugs the son and gets all dirty with the son. And the picture that I have that I read to my kids because I think it's so important is the dad puts his hands over the son and is hugging him. And my girls were like, but the daddy's going to get all dirty. You know, they really, they were bothered by that. I was like, that's, that's kind of true. Because Jesus came down and embraced us right in our yuckiness. And He was tender. And that's what we need to be. We need to be tender. We need to be gentle. We need to be the ones that go. We talk about being a church that comes and goes. We need to be, um, you know, Jesus was not a sissy, but He was pretty tender. He was pretty gentle. He was pretty, um, 
he could have come with a lot more destructive force. We would have all done that. We, if we had that power, we would have been a lot more destructive. But he came to restore and not to destroy. And then he gives time. He sticks with Mary. He trusts Mary. He's tender. But then he gives time, as we know that he stays at least for about 30 years before his ministry starts. Um, Mary loses him. Mary wasn't perfect. Mary asked him to do things he didn't want to do. Probably wasn't the first time she asked him to do things he didn't want to do, like any son. Go, Jesus, go sweep out the stable or something. I don't know what they would do back then, and he probably didn't want to do it a few times, but he went out there and he obeyed, and he was, he was with her, and he stuck with her, and he took time. Um, and just like we read in Mark, you know, she even calls him crazy. We're going to go back into Mark in January, and I hope that you guys can come and be a part of that. Um, and, but we read in, in the series how, how she calls him nuts, but Jesus stuck with her. And, and we need to take time for people. We need to take time. We need to, to give people our time. You know, we need to, uh, to slow down our lives a little bit because uh, sometimes that's what it really takes to get through our, our, our dark our darkness and the darkness that God has. And when I thought about these two fabrics and I thought about kind of the, my understanding of what God was doing in Jesus Christ is this is our messed up world, this dark black one that is, it could be pretty, but it's just not. It's covered in darkness. And this is God's kingdom of heaven and glory and kind of looks a little bit like clouds and just up there. But they're so far apart. They've been ripped apart. They've been destroyed by sin and and when Jesus came, first of all, he left the throne of heaven, which is a big enough deal. If that's all that he did, if he just left heaven and came and showed up here in his glory, that's sacrificing a lot because heaven's a great place to be. But then he enters in as a baby. And he learns what it is to, to, to be helpless and to be completely at the mercy of one of us. He put himself in our hands, so to speak, and he entered in. But in doing that, you know, every time he went through and he got small and he got tiny, kind of pierced through and God would somehow resurrect him. You know, then he was at a party with his mom. And because that was his mom, she asked him to do something. He didn't want to do it. Finally, he went through and he did it. But then that miracle started to teach his disciples about his glory. And, and, and as, as he humbled himself... And he constantly kind of died to himself. I mean, he died on the cross, but he died many times before that. You know, many times before that did he die, so to speak, as he gave up his will and he gave up his life. And um, I picked this thread, which is a little bit red, and that's, that's his blood, that's his life that kind of sews it together. Now, if I could sew, which I clearly can't, I could have probably sewed this together and turned the two into one. And that would symbolize how God came to, to bring heaven and earth together. And I still think that if we were honest, we could say that even though Jesus lived a perfect life, and even though he died on the cross and was resurrected and he did his whole part, um, if we were to look honestly at our lives, in our families, on our couches, in our cars, or, or in our neighborhoods, there's still a rift between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. It's still not together. And so, did Jesus not do it enough? And I think that the answer comes in Paul, where it says, Paul says, is that we have to die daily. We have to make ourselves small. We have to give our time to people. We have to be tender with people. We die, and then God resurrects us. We humble ourselves, and then God lifts us up. We suck it up and do things that we don't want to do, 
and then God releases His glory. We, we allow ourselves to be shamed sometimes and, and, and people put us down and we don't fight back and then God fights for us. And as we do our part, you start to see a link between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this earth. And that's what God wants to do is, is He wants to not only just show us how to live, but He wants to empower us. Jesus said, hey, the same way that I have, the, the, the same message that I've come with, I'm sending you out with it. We've got, to, we've got to trust people. We've got to give people the chance to make us embarrassed. Um, kind of the one story that I, that I shared this morning and I'll share again was there was a young man in class and there was a class that a substitute was watching that was getting a little bit out of control. So I was called to go in there to kind of calm it down. Which you guys know if you've ever been in school, when a substitute's there, kids act a little bit differently. You can have kids who just act up because it's kind of like mom's out of the house or dad's gone and so things are different. Well, I walked in there and the substitute was in a panic and almost in tears and the kids were being what high school kids are. I'm not saying it was right, but that's just what happens. And I walked in there and what I'll do pretty much is I'll try to take one or two outside in the hall and have a conversation with them. And most of the time, that pretty much calms down everything that's going on. Um, you don't want to do it in front of everybody because then they start to show out and then you got to show out and then it turns into a power struggle. And most of the time, nothing good comes from that. So you pick out two or three that are the most disruptive and you talk to them and if you need to go further, you can. But most of the time, that's all this. So I went in there and a young man, uh, I mean, bigger than me, I'm not that I'm super tall, bigger than me, but he's real upset. And so I say, I need you to come outside in the hall with me. And he mouths off and says something and kind of gets big. And I'm like, hey, uh, you're making it worse. You know, you're, you're, making, you're making things more difficult. And so he pulls back. And so about for me to Gonzo, comes at me with his arm like this. And I know he's about to probably hit me in the face or, you know, swing at me. And I'm not looking forward to this all. I'm not scared. But I generally don't like to get in fights if I don't have to. It's nothing that I like to. And plus, it, it just doesn't look good. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that I could fight anybody. But I'm saying I just there's no reason for it to get to that level. So while he's coming at me, I don't know if it was the Spirit of God or just God's grace or something dumb that came out of me. I just looked at him and said, I'm so sorry for making your life more difficult. But that is not what I'm here to do. And he stopped as if like something just stopped him, like dead stopped, harder than I could have hit him. I mean, if I would have punched him, he wouldn't have stopped that quick. And he stops right there, and his eyes start to tear up. And so I'm like, just come out in the hall. So just like I had planned in the beginning, we went out in the hall. And he goes through, and for the next 15 minutes or so, talks about mom and dad and what's happened there and why he's in Papa Bluff living with an uncle and just all the drama and everything. I mean, he had a difficult life. He had every reason to be sitting there boiling over and to be upset. And, and he sat there, and then through the rest of that year, we would connect there in the hall, and we would connect. And when he walked across the stage and he graduated, he was, he was there, he shook my hand, and he was, there was a connection that we had. And I still think if I saw him today, we'd still have that connection there. But it came from this principle, just like Jesus got small, just like he got small like this needle, the tip of the needle, to be able to pierce through into our darkness, is I got small. I could have got big. Sometimes you have to. I mean, sometimes being in a role, you have to. But, but I just got small. It just came naturally. I just got small. And as he charged me, and I got tinier, and I got humbly, and I just said, hey, sorry, I'm not trying to make your life more difficult. It broke through. It broke through. If I wanted to, hands down, I could have ticked him off more, made him do something stupid, and probably got him out of the school in cuffs. It would have taken 
about five seconds worth of my energy. That's not my intention. The intention is to be there to help people. And to do that, you got to be small. It says, somebody said it the best, and I think that we should all live by it, is nobody should take advantage of us, but we should give our advantage away. You know, I wasn't afraid to look dumb. In fact, I don't feel like I look dumb. I wasn't the one who left the room in tears. I'm saying, I mean, if anybody, the kids were like, well, what's the matter with him? And, and when, when we talked, I wasn't there to embarrass him because I actually care. And we got to be small. We got to give our time to people. We got to shut down our own agendas and give our time to people. We got to be tender with people. We can't be rough with our words. We can't be rough with our actions. We can't be judgmental with people. We. And then, and then we have to um, give our time. We have to be tender. And then we have to trust people. We have to give people the chance to, to make a mistake. Um, a lot of times, you know, people hurt us once and we refuse to let them back into our circle. And so you'll talk about the circle of trust and some of us have like the dot of trust where it's just me and maybe one other person. But we got to allow, trust people. Jesus trusted us. We have to trust others. Knowing they're going to fail and not holding it against them when they do. And so as we, as we read about this story, this kingdom that, that God came to establish, when He came to establish His kingdom, He didn't do it with a sword, He did it with a baby. He was ten, uh, tender, He was gentle, um, and He changed the world. And, uh, you know, we got to do the small things well. Um, we got to get small. If you do the small things well, you're going to do the big things well. we got people that want to do great things for God, but can't get along in their own house. Not that you're not going to have arguments, and not that you're not going to have issues, but, but, but we've got to do those things well. People that, that want to go and be missionaries, but are too afraid to talk to their neighbor across the street. Well, that's a small thing. It's a small thing. People that, that want all this stuff to happen, but, but they don't learn to do the small things. Not that you're not going to make mistakes, because we're all going to.